Imagine for a moment if after 9-11, the entire media establishment, the country, Democrats, uh, many nations in the world rallied around Al-Qaeda. That somehow Al-Qaeda had a point that day. And Al-Qaeda, as we, America, counterattacks, well, we must be very, very, very careful not to hurt Al-Qaeda too much. That's what's happening right now with Israel and Hamas. Hamas, horrible, evil, ugly terrorists. Yet, uh, everybody seems to be bending over backwards for them, worried about them. They're the ones who took the hostages. And something bad did happen. Hostages were killed by Israeli troops. One of the many things about war that so many don't understand. War is messy. War is ugly. Horrible things happen in war. That's why it's to be avoided unless it's absolutely necessary. And Israel has no choice right now. None. Zero. They must, for survival, eradicate Hamas. Period. Things do happen, though, in war. We have to put them in perspective. The IDF announced that three of them were mistakenly killed by Israeli troops, even though one was carrying a stick with a white cloth on it. The killing of those three hostages was a terrible error and a tremendous tragedy. It was a mistake. It was a tragedy. Uh, but Israel is now almost getting more blame for this mistake rather than the deliberate act of taking civilian hostages. This is Richard Haas, an alleged smart guy, totally establishment, total establishment. Listen to him. Never served a day in the military. These guys, these foreign policy establishment types, they have no concept of what it means to actually be in the military. And yeah, the horrible things that sometimes happen. The breakdown of discipline in the IDF, there was already going to be a massive investigation about Israeli intelligence and defense preparedness or lack of it. There's now obviously going to need to be an investigation here. How did discipline so, so break, break down? He's been more aggressive in calling for an investigation into Israel than he has in calling for the eradication of Hamas. So many people just like that. He may look vaguely familiar. Remember when Joe Biden was on stage saying, well, bragging that he had that prosecutor fired? Remember this? I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. And one of the guys laughing is the guy on the right there, Richard Haas, who runs the Council on Foreign Relations, who was just telling us about how undisciplined Israel is. No, the Israeli Defense Force is probably one of the best militaries in human history. And it is awful that three hostages were killed. But remember who took the hostages to begin with, Hamas. Who does this other than savages, other than evil terrorists, taking civilians, women and children sometimes as hostage? I mean, again, somehow Hamas is seen as a protected, oppressed group and we can't criticize them for anything. Are you crazy? What kind of crazy world is this? I am very eager to see a movie uh, about what really happened there. You know, the Hamas terrorists were weird enough to wear body cams as they went into battle. This is all body camera footage worn by the terrorists. Well, they got a lot of footage of them incriminating themselves, committing war crimes. 
And there is a movie out there that only select audiences can see. It's called Bearing Witness to the October 7th Massacre. And in that movie, well, what is there? Let's go to some uh, video of the Hamas attack. Uh, Hamas members shot dead civilians in their living rooms, lit houses on fire, and hurled a grenade at a father trying to protect his children. Next, please. The footage includes photographs of two babies that had been shot in the head and two infants who appear to have been burnt to a char. But, yeah, let's make Bibi Netanyahu. He's the issue. Just ask uh, Chris Coons. Uh, this is the man who now occupies, I believe, yeah, Joe Biden's seat in the U.S. Senate. Prime Minister Netanyahu has been an exceptionally difficult partner. What has been a real challenge is the big gap between most of us in Congress and the president who believe a two-state solution is the only way forward and Prime Minister Netanyahu, who has done everything he can to undermine a positive vision for peace for Israel. How about that? In his hour of need, Bibi getting slammed by this guy in his cushy life in some studio in Delaware or Washington, D.C. Chris Coons, you may remember him, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Joe Biden. Joe Biden was uh, very weirdly close to his daughter when he was getting sworn in. Uh, Chris Coons had no problem with that uh, or didn't notice it. Bibi Netanyahu is a hero. Absolutely. Saving hostages, crisis. It's in his blood. He knows what he's doing. It's amazing what Chris Kuhn said out loud, because that was definitely authorized by the administration, right? They want this word out about Bibi. We have lied and covered up for so many maniacs across the world. The United States have, especially, especially Democrats. This is President Ghani, the guy who uh, left, ran away from Afghanistan. He was such an incredible leader, according to our uh, officials in Washington right up until the day he quit, until he ran away. How about President Xi? Can you imagine Chris Coons or any Democrat, any Biden administration officials slamming President Xi the way Chris Coons just slammed Bibi Netanyahu? Why is this happening? Why? Why are we doing it? Because of these women and what they represent. These awful squad members and their hideous anti-Semitism and concerns, parochial concerns, about the 2024 election and Joe Biden getting very, very desperate. And he knows he's losing votes, especially along, among these young radicals who used to tolerate him, at least for a moment. All right, next. Joe Biden and Jim Biden getting very, very close. That is Jim Biden on the right with Joe Biden. Jim is a couple of years younger than Joe, I believe. And uh, they have been seen in public together, but not much. <laughs> Not much. They keep their distance. Not many photos of these guys actually publicly available. And this might be one of the reasons. I remember looking at Jim Biden and saying, how are you guys getting away with this? Like, aren't you concerned? And he sort of looked at me and he laughed a little bit and said, uh, plausible deniability. With me asking out of concern, how are you guys doing this? Aren't you concerned that you're going to put your brother's you know, future presidential campaign at risk? Um, you know, the Chinese, the stuff that you guys have been doing already in 2015 and 2016 around the world. And uh, I just can almost picture his face where he sort of chuckles and says, you know, plausible deniability. So somehow they arranged it so they could deny that. Jim Biden was getting money from all over the world, all over America, people who wanted to do business with Joe Biden, but they would set it up that they could never actually trace it to 
Joe Biden. That's what plausible deniability means in this context. Washington Post, interestingly enough, did a big story about, well, Jim Biden's deal making caught on FBI tapes in an unrelated bribery probe. When the Washington Post starts doing stories like this that they should have been doing in 2020, <laughs> um, it's interesting. It suggests that the establishment is getting ready to uh, give Joe Biden the heave ho. This is an interesting story. It's not a smoking gun. They want a smoking gun, but this is circumstantial and it's bad. Let me go through it. Kudos to the Washington Post, although they, they do it very gently, almost politely. Richard Dickey Scruggs, a famed Mississippi trial attorney, was tantalizingly close to a historic deal to force tobacco companies to pay billions of dollars. But there was one last hurdle. A divided Congress had to sign off. And Scruggs had identified one of the most skeptical senators, Joe Biden, as a key to winning the vote. Scruggs turned to Biden's younger brother, James, an old acquaintance who ran a D.C. consulting firm with his wife, Sarah. Scruggs paid the firm $100,000 in 1998 for advice on passing the bill. Scruggs said in an interview at his office here that the first time he disclosed the amount, it is the first time he disclosed the amount, and I probably would not have hired him if he wasn't the senator's brother. Biden eventually backed the bill, which ultimately failed to pass Congress. Jim was never untoward about his influence. He didn't brag about it or talk about it. He didn't have to. He was the man's brother. Uh, interesting, right? Uh, here's Jim Biden talking on, on audio to these folks in Mississippi about, well, how much he wants to make money, but sounds a little embarrassed by it, actually. You know my hesitancy to be a to to be a you know uh, you know an opportunist, and yeah, sure. everybody is jumping on him. Right. Okay, sure. there's nothing yeah. wrong with opportunists. Sarah just rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> so, but to being a whore about it, okay? Yeah. You know, like yeah. everybody just jumping in, like let me do your insurance, let me do your right. legal. <laughs> he doesn't want to be an opportunist. He doesn't want to be a whore. W-H-O-R-E. Why is he so reluctant to do that? Joe, I've seen Joe. He wants to do that. He said when we first met him what he's eager to do and be. The fortunate thing is I didn't have many larger contributors. And the only reason, see, I went to the big guys for the money. I was ready to prostitute myself in the, man, in the manner in which I talk about it. All right. You see, the Bidens are OK. They're all about money. So back to Jim Biden. Uh, this is some fellow in the South who later, I believe, went to jail. These guys in the article, a lot of them went to jail for bribing this official or that official. But at this time, they want to do business with the Bidens and, and listen to how it's all going to be set up. And I told him that we had formalized our relationship with you guys, told him about the real Washington presence, that this was not going to be, you know, a bullshit you know, shingle hung somewhere in a window that this was a real deal, that Sarah was coming on, you know, as a as a named partner, uh, equity share in the venture, that we were changing the name of the firm to include her, told her that, you know, Hunter was going to be involved and you were going to be involved. Wow, everybody, Jim Biden, Hunter Biden, Sarah Biden are going to be involved in this venture, whatever the heck it is, uh, Mississippi and Delaware. What do they have to do with each other, by the way, huh? <laughs> a U.S. senator and his brother and his, his wife and uh, the son doing all this business with Mississippi. I don't know. Politics, huh? I have to go back to this, though. 
Jim Biden received $100,000 in 1998 from a guy who hired him to change his brother's mind about a great big piece of legislation. And it worked. He changed his mind. Now, that $100,000, do you think it all went to Jim? Everything we know now. How about this piece, this check? We know that James Biden in 2018 wrote his brother a check for $200,000. I know it says loan repayment, but does anybody buy that this is a loan repayment? That is from James Biden to Joe Biden for $200,000. I think the $100,000 and the $200,000 is a big clue as to how Joe got so rich. Joe has stuff all over the place, right? The vacation home, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, uh, fancy cars, watches, you name it, Joe has got it. And he didn't just get it as an ex-vice president. And you can make some money, decent money, when you're an ex-vice president. He made it as a first-term U.S. senator in Delaware. He's like 33 years old when he buys the largest house in the state. Everybody knows that Delaware and the DuPonts, DuPont Chemical, right? They go together. Well, this is, the, this is one of the DuPont homes, and Joe buys it, and Joe's proud of it. And if you look at this fake news book that they love so much in the fake news, uh, What It Takes came out, uh, I don't know, 30 years ago. They call it the political Bible. They covered the 1988 campaign. Joe was a candidate for president back then, and Joe has a big mouth, and he talks to these reporters a lot, and he talks to him about that fancy DuPont mansion. It's the kind of place a thousand Italian guys died building. Hand-carved doorways, a curving hand-carved grand staircase that Clark Gable could have carried a girl down. A library fit for a Carnegie or Bernard Baruch, someone like that. And a ballroom, can't forget the ballroom. And a living room, about half an acre and a bathroom upstairs the size of a gym, and all dusty rows outside with beautiful brickwork over the windows, black shutters, white porches, a fountain, a pool. The place is drop-dead stately. <laughs> okay, the print is going like this for some reason. That's okay. Can I see that drop-dead stately place that a thousand Italian guys uh, <laughs> created? That's amazing, right? That's a huge house for a first-term United States senator, not making much money officially. You know, the ballroom thing, Hunter's first wife, Kathleen, uh, you know, they, well, you know what happened, right? Hunter started hooking up with Haley, and then, anyway, they're divorced now. But Kathleen wrote a memoir, a very thoughtful memoir, came out about a year or so ago. She talked about the opulence of the Biden family back in the 1990s. Hunter tried to tell me that he came from a middle-class family, but nothing about his life looked remotely middle-class to me. Months later, when I went to his house for the first time, again, all the way back in the 1990s, I explained to him that the middle-class families I knew did not live like this, let alone working-class families like mine. Hunt, I told him, a kid from a middle-class family does not have a ballroom. <laughs> but somehow Joe had that mansion and a lot of other things. And at the same time, when he had all this stuff, he's running around telling everybody how poor he is. I was listed for all the years I was a senator as the poorest man in the United States Congress. I had the dubious distinction of being listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. I had the great pleasure of being listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. <laughs> Let me see how the poorest man in Congress lives. 
if this is the poorest man in Congress's house, how does the richest guy live, huh? I mean, all right, here's the issue with Joe. I told you, he stopped growing 50 years ago when he made it big as a United States senator in 1973. 50 years ago. And what was going on 50 years ago? Polit it's before Watergate. Politicians were helping themselves to a lot of stuff. Richard Nixon was president. Spiro Agnew was his vice president. Actually, <laughs> Spiro Agnew was doing what a lot of politicians did back then, steal. <laughs> he was taking money as governor of Maryland, uh, just in, in, wide open in plain sight, even as vice president, just taking cash. It was done back then. He got caught because, well, they were trying to get Nixon and he stood in the way. Good evening. Vice President Agnew's resignation came under the intense pressure of a federal investigation of political graft. And it was coupled with Agnew's admission that he had cheated on his income taxes, which brought him a $10,000 fine and probation for three years. Wow. The federal government investigating a vice president and a president. Uh, oh, they were Republicans. They were Republican, a Republican vice president. Anyway, he was guilty. He was taking this stuff wide out, right in the open. The word around D.C. was he just got sloppy. He should have been more discreet. You got to remember, what did Jim Biden call it? Plausible deniability. Spiro Agnew, rest in peace. And we'll be right back. Do you remember hearing about Move On, MoveOn.org? They were big in the 90s. Leave Bill Clinton alone. Uh, big in the early aughts, doing everything they could to uh, promote left-wing causes. And you've heard, of course, of Black Lives Matter, right? BLM. Uh, we also know that the organization had really nothing to do with black lives. They were all about mansions and special spa treatments. You probably have never heard, though, of Arabella Advisors. Uh, it's a group of, uh, well, very important people who are getting money to the left, to the far left. An interesting group that we need to know more about. We are joined by Hayden Ludwig. He is a research director at Restoration of America. Uh, Capital Research Center was established back in 1984, and they know all about this nonprofit stuff. Hayden, welcome. How are you? Great, great to be with you. Thank you. So Arabella Group, somebody told me over the weekend, I had never heard about it before, that they are very, very active, very, very important, and they're doing everything they can to uh, harm America. You've done some research. You've written about it. Uh, does that person have it right? Tell us a little bit more about Arabella. Oh, I wish it was that good. Yeah, we're talking about the single largest dark money network in the world, one that was created about 15 years ago to fund money from the left from mega donors in the dark like George Soros and the Tides Foundation. And yet it wasn't exposed until I revealed it in 2019. And since then, Arabella has become the poster child for moving billions of dollars from these anonymous, unaccountable, sometimes foreign billionaires into the kind of far left progressive politics that are helping to elect Democrats and move America left. How is it that they've managed to kind of stay under the radar? You don't hear about them as much as um, as we should, I guess. I mean, again, I uh, I've not heard about it until very recently. Sorry, I know you've been on it from for a while now. Are they trying to stay under the radar? That's the whole point. Yeah. 
Well, the, left, the way the left gets away with this scheme is by hijacking and weaponizing our charitable system. So the kinds of nonprofit organizations that were created to do genuine charity, you know, the same part of the tax code as your local church or Goodwill or the Salvation Army, the left has weaponized these over the last 15 odd years in order to move money quietly into politics. The reason is most people think politics is run by the two political parties, but they don't realize there are billions of dollars tied up in these activist groups that are funded by this Arabella dark money network. Give us an example of, um, well, where they're putting this money and how it's doing harm. Let me give you my favorite example. It's actually how I revealed this network back in 2019. There's a little-known group called Demand Justice that operates in Washington, D.C. This group was originally incubated by this Arabella Dark Money Network with funding from who knows which anonymous mega donors. It's kind of the point. And Demand Justice is single-handedly responsible for the entire pack the Supreme Court narrative that is now mainstream on the Democrat Party. Currently, they're trying to take down Clarence Thomas and pack the court with these diehard progressive justices. That was an inside job spawned by this dark money network run by Arabella Advisors through its, its Demand Justice front group. All right. Now, this guy, Eric Kessler, who I believe was a uh, Clinton administration staffer, started this Arabella Advisors back in 2005. There he is, uh, somebody else uh, who's kind of remained under the radar. I went to their website, and it looks innocuous enough. Uh, let's see here. Arabella, change makers. We help change makers create a better world, right? Sounds beautiful. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Arabella, we see change where others see a challenge. We see change. All right, so they got these uh, logos from Wikipedia, it sounds like. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about Kessler and by the way, I guess everything they're doing is legal, right? This is not illegal activity. From what we can tell, it skirts the law, but this is why the left is so devious and clever. They use euphemistic language like that to get away with the kinds of things that scream, you know, political and even against the law. Give you an example. Way back in the 2020 election, people are familiar with the, the Mark Zuckerberg Zuckbuck stories about how this Facebook founder moved $420 million through nonprofits to, quote unquote, fortify our election. Really, it was to boost Democrat turnout. Well, a lot of that money was funneled through the Arabella network. I don't know anybody who considers getting out the Democrat vote to be an act of charity. It's pretty partisan, if you ask me. But this is the kind of thing that Eric Kessler was good at, because back in the 1990s, before he worked for the Clinton administration, he was the national field director for a major get out the green vote group called the League of Conservation Voters, top Democrat GOT organization based in Washington, D.C. So this is entirely to take advantage of our generous charitable laws in order to skirt them and elect Democrats. Uh, I want to just play this very quickly. This is the uh, secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin. And he seems to be, well, I don't know. I think he's not very strong in Israel's corner. Take a look. Protecting Palestinian civilians in Gaza is both a moral duty and a strategic imperative. So we will continue to stand up for Israel's bedrock right to defend itself. And we will also continue to urge the protection of civilians during conflict and to increase the flow of humanitarian aid into Gaza. All right. At first glance, it may sound harmless enough, but the, uh, the, the Biden administration seems to be going very, very soft on Bibi Netanyahu and uh, really realizing that, um, well, the Arab-American vote may be at stake, and they're sending all kinds of weird sing signals. 
Where does Arabella fall on these kinds of issues, um, especially Israel versus terrorists? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, we know, for instance, that some of the Arabella nonprofits in this network have moved uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years to a particular nonprofit that runs a pro-Hamas front group. And this was so embarrassing to them because of the work of good conservative investigative journalists that they finally had to cut ties. But you have to understand, that's a rare victory on the right. Usually the left is too shameless to be you know, shamed into cutting ties with far left pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist organizations like this, this is something that we should be proud of. But it only shows you that this is the tip of the iceberg. If they're caught doing this sort of thing, how much, how many ties to China do we know of? We know, for instance, that one of the largest Arabella donors is a, is a Swiss billionaire named Hans Wies. Mm. He's a Swiss uh, resident. He, he, does, he lives in the United States, has never obtained U.S. US citizenship. And yet he gives money uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to this Arabella network to fund the kinds of far left progressive, you know, advocacy campaigns that are tearing the country apart. Why should a foreign billionaire be allowed to fund our politics? I think that's outrageous. Hayden Ludwig, thank you very much. You got to check out uh, capitalresearch.org, capitalresearch.org, and at restoration underscore ROA. Hayden Ludwig, we appreciate it very much. Thank you for your time. Be right back. Hey guys, it's Carson. Christmas is almost here, and I've got a really great gift idea for you. Why don't you give yourself the new streaming service, Newsmax Plus? Move over, woke Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu. Just start Newsmax Plus. I just subscribed. I love it. Get Newsmax Best Shows with Rob Schmidt, Eric Bowling, Greta Von Susteren, Greg Kelly, and more. You also get lots of movies, documentaries, history, comedy. Newsmax Plus just launched, and more than 180,000 people have signed up. Newsmax Plus lets you watch the Newsmax channel on your phone or home TV app. And Newsmax Plus is the only streamer to give you all the Donald Trump rallies. Fox News censors most of them. So get Newsmax Plus today. It's free to start. Just go to Newsmax Plus, spell out the plus, dot com. Again, start your free trial by going to NewsmaxPlus.com. That's NewsmaxPlus.com. Millions are switching to Newsmax, so try it for free today. You know, the left is always saying Donald Trump is dangerous. Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. You know that's all hype, right? It's all, it's just, it's nonsense. It's laughable. But she is dangerous. Liz Cheney and her new book, that I don't think anybody's actually read, even though it's number one on the bestseller list. I have Oath and Honor, a memoir and a warning. I've gone through this book and it worries me greatly. The message that comes through, this is not my big, big book report. I'm gonna do one, but she is saying some very dark things and I think she's revealing a lot about herself and maybe a very bad agenda for America and she could be capable of anything anything. I'm, I'm genuinely nervous. <laughs> it's amazing. She's such an influence. She's on all the shows. She's on the Brett Baer show. She's on the Meet the Press show. And that no one has ever actually read the book. There are big problems in this book. So Donald Trump gives that speech on January 6th, right? Do you remember this part? Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. But she put it in the book. Watch. We got to remember, in a year from now, you're going to start working on Congress. And we got to get rid of the weak Congress people, the ones that aren't any good, the Liz Cheney's of the world. We got to get rid of them. We got to get rid. Now, what do you think that means? Does it mean kill Liz Cheney? Of course not. 
Nobody wants anything bad to happen to anybody. I want everybody to live to be 100. It means defeating her at the ballot box. And that's still allowed in America. Donald Trump said that on January 6th at what time? 12.42 p.m. Now, who's watching TV? According to the book, Dick Cheney was watching TV. Yeah, he's watching TV. And he calls his daughter, Liz Cheney, congresswoman from Wyoming, but she's in the Capitol. And according to her book, this is what she writes. My dad called me. Are you listening to Trump, he asked. Next, please. He just told the crowd they should get rid of the Liz Cheneys of the world. He has created a serious threat to your security. I stepped into a cloakroom phone booth for privacy and slid the door shut. You are in danger, my dad said. My father knew immediately and unequivocally that Trump's speech was likely to cause violence, and now Trump had targeted me directly. There was no world in which I would let Donald Trump threaten or bully me into abandoning my duty. I can't stay silent out of fear, Dad. Um, now, what's really troubling about this? Dick Cheney, what? She was safe in the Capitol. An hour and a half before the Capitol was breached. When was the Capitol breached? We have a time. We know. 2.13 p.m. So an hour and a half before that, Dick Cheney seems to have a heads up that his daughter is going to be at risk. Maybe he should have called the Capitol Police. Maybe he should have called the FBI. Did you think watching that speech that anything like this was going to happen? No. But Dick Cheney somehow knew? That is weird. Very weird. And it's in the book. She also, like everybody else, throws so much uh, praise and love at Ruby and Shay, Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss. I think we have a picture of them. There they are. I have to highlight this, and I think everybody missed it, and it's in the book again. Um, Ruby Freeman is on the right in red. Now, she did not testify in front of the January 6th committee live, but she did one of those taped interviews, and she said something about her time in Atlanta, where she lived. The FBI comes to her a few days before January 6th, and they say she has to evacuate because of January 6th. Check it out. Your conversation with the FBI about needing to leave your home for your, your own safety or perhaps recommending it. Um, do you remember, was there a specific threat that prompted that or was it the accumulation of, of threats that you had received? What prompted it was, um, was getting ready to January 6th was about to come. The FBI tells her a couple of days before January 6th that January 6th is coming, so we have to evacuate you in Atlanta. That is strange, too. The FBI. This is the same FBI that brought us Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, right? Remember that little conversation? We're going to stop Trump. We're going to stop Trump. And then they're evacuating people in Atlanta days before January 6th because of January 6th. This is right out of the January 6th committee run by Liz Cheney and Adam and uh, the rest. That's weird, too. And then there's this. This is just offensive to me, all right, in the Liz Cheney book. He should fulfill his duty to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States by respecting the sanctity of our electoral process. That last part bothers me sanctity of our electoral process. What does sanctity mean? Sanctity, the state or quality of being holy, sacred, or saintly. 
No, the system was created by men. And there's nothing sacred or holy about something created by a, a person. And people can disagree on the process, right? We have a Supreme Court for that. And does anything about voting look sacred? I mean, it's important, but is it sacred? I think that's a, I think that's a little much. I think it's a little much. Some very strange things in this book. She calls this a, a warning. It is a warning about herself and what she and the enemies of Trump just might be capable of. I'll have more later this week, and I'll be right back. All right, so this Pope Francis is uh, <laughs> not your typical Pope. All kinds of, um, well, liberal moves. A lot of conservative Catholics are upset. A lot of people are puzzled. Um, the latest thing is this, and I'm not sure how recent it is. It may go back a couple of months at least, but Pope Francis will officially allow priests to bless same-sex couples. This is uh, a departure from what I know about uh, doctrine, at least. We're joined by an expert panel, Patrick Novakoski, managing partner at Nova Media. More on that in a moment. And also Michael Matt, editor of the Remnant newspaper, the great Catholic newspaper. Uh, but first, gentlemen, for a little context, uh, before we get to you, we want to go to Rome. And our Alex Salvi is standing by. Alex. The Vatican releasing a document detailing the new position of the church. Same-sex couples can receive blessings as long as the blessing is not conflated with or confused with the sacrament of marriage. The document reiterates that marriage is between a man and a woman, but it adds blessings to the individuals should not be outright banned by the church. It reads that people seeking a relationship with God should not be subject to a so-called exhaustive moral analysis. The writing responds to a letter from conservative Catholic cardinals, including Raymond Burke of the United States, who had his salary stripped by Pope Francis last month, asking for a clarification on the Pope's stance. They ask, quote, is it possible that in some circumstances a pastor could bless unions between homosexual persons, thus suggesting that homosexual behavior as such would not be contrary to God's law and the person's journey toward God? The eight-page document released today said the question should be answered on a case-by-case -case basis, a drastic deviation from the prior position that same-sex attraction is not sinful, but homosexual acts are. The document reads, quote, even when a person's relationship with God is clouded by sin, he can always ask for a blessing, stretching out his hand to God. The Pope hinted at possible reforms during the Church Synod back in October. And after this document, there is certainly a heightened expectation that much more dramatic transformations could be on the horizon when the group reconvenes next year. In Vatican City, for Newsmax, I'm Alex South. Okay, I may need some clarification on the clarification. I am joined now. We are joined by... Patrick Novakoski and uh, and Michael Matt. Michael, uh, first to you. I'm a bit confused. Can you uh, straighten us out? Uh, you're not the only one who's confused, Greg. This is uh, this is a dark moment, and I think I think the one of the big problems is they're sort of using subterfuge. They're saying this is not a blessing. Or this is not to be equated with with marriage. This is not technically a blessing of same-sex unions. But what they've been working for for a long time, and this is not just you know me speaking, we have Cardinal Mueller, we have Cardinal Burke, high-ranking cardinals of the church who are extremely concerned about this. I think the objective is to get the camel's nose under the tent so that the world, the media takeaway is going to simply be the Catholic Church has finally gotten over herself. She doesn't believe in the Bible-based uh, foundation of her own doctrinal teachings, which I think is deceptive. I think it's deceptive first and foremost to those who are 
involved in these in these unions. It's not fair to them. They're basically being lied to in the name of establishing a more woke Catholic church. And it's very upsetting. Uh, thank you, Patrick. Can you tell us what you think of this? Yeah, I, I was going to use the exact same idiom as Michael did. It's it's the, the Campbell's nose underneath the tent. It, it, this papacy has been slouching for Gomorrah, in a sense, for since the beginning. Um, the, the document says that there's no there's no change in church teaching that you know it's it's we can give we can't give a sacramental blessing to same sex couples or couples in irregular situations. Uh, divorced and then remarried Catholics. Um, but a pastor, in his judgment, can give a blessing. So the teaching is unchanged, but it's really opened the door, in a sense, to, uh, a, a, in, a, in a sense, a, a liberalization of church teaching on, on this issue and blurring the lines of what's really morally licit, according to 2,000 years of Catholic teaching and an even longer biblical teaching, thousands and thousands of years. All right, now let's go through a couple of basics. I do believe, and I think you believe, and I think uh, God believes, Jesus believes, everybody everybody can be blessed. Everybody can have a relationship with God, correct? No matter what they've done. That's right, right? No question. Sure. Okay, number one, we got that. Number two, let's say I go to, uh, I go to the Pope and I have, say, my, my girlfriend, uh, a girlfriend, and let's say hypothetically, okay, it's an extramarital girlfriend. I cannot go with my extramarital, with my affair partner to the Pope and say, bless us, correct? Correct. Right, yeah, the document reaffirms Catholic teaching on marriage, on homosexuality, and, and the, just essentially the moral teaching on the church. It sets that out very clearly. The question is, how will this be enforced? Um, the, there, there are bishops who have allowed sacramental same-sex blessings for, for years, and the Vatican has not cracked down on them. This document says, no, you can't do that. Is the Vatican going to reach out to the German bishops, the Belgian bishops, and say, you need to stop this, or, or there'll be penalties for you? Uh, somehow, I don't think that's going to happen. All right. I, I, did, I thought I heard, though, I mean, I, I still am unclear. Is it a blessing for the two individuals, or it can actually, at times, case-by-case case basis, Michael, be a blessing for the same-sex couple? Is that your read? I, of course, and I think that's what, what's at, at base here, is this idea that, you know, the biblical idea that this is a sin that cries to heaven for vengeance. You don't hate the sinner, but the sin is a very serious sin. If you have any uh, message coming out from the Vatican saying that blessings can now be given, whether to the individual or to the couple, it only contributes to massive confusion on the part of an already confused and bewildered church. I mean, let's face it, the church is really in trouble. People are not going to mass anymore. They're not practicing this religion anymore because they're not getting a clear idea of what the church even stands for. And this is only going to contribute to it. And again, I think what the main thing they want to say is that we are a merciful church, and we think the old church is rigid and the Bible's a bit rigid. We are merciful. We're going to do whatever we want uh, with respect to coming off as a more merciful and more woke church that's going to accept some of these things. So I think the details of the blessing is less important than the takeaway for the New York Times. Catholic Church, blessing same-sex couples. That's, that, I think, is, is the really dangerous endgame that's going to confuse a lot of people. All right. But... We do know that there is forgiveness, right, in Christianity. Uh, everybody deserves this relationship with God. 
Um, very briefly, Michael, can you tell me about the joys of Christianity as you see them? The joys of Christianity. Well, this is this is the the, the we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ this week. I mean, absolutely nothing takes away from what we know to be true. We're all proud practicing Catholics. We know the catechism, even if the Vatican seems a bit vague <laughs> on what the catechism teaches on these things. But yeah, the joy of Christianity, celebrating the birth of Christ and understanding that what we're seeing right now is the attempt to undermine the Catholic Church, which only strengthens our faith in that there seems to be almost a demonic effort to water everything down because the church does provide the answers to all of us. We're all sinners. It does provide the answers. But what we're begging is for Team Francis to go back to the clarity of a Pope John Paul II, go back to the clarity of the catechism. And we're simply not seeing that. And no one else is either, including homosexual couples, gay couples, lesbian couples, who, in my opinion, are being absolutely deceived right now, lied to. Uh, Patrick, very briefly. Tell us about being a Christian. Being a Christian is being madly in love with Jesus Christ and being all in for the Bible, his teachings, and the church that he founded. It, it's that simple. That's where the real hope and the real joy is. And distorting 2,000 years of teaching is not going to get us there. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Michael. To be continued. And we'll Absolutely. Right. Thank you, Greg. Hey, look at this. Governor Greg Abbott, way to go. He signed a border bill that makes entering Texas illegally a state crime. Can't believe it wasn't already, but apparently not. Good for him. Hey, it, it, it's going to help, I hope, right? Something's got to be done. Um, it's a step in the right direction. So much more has to be done. Greg Abbott is doing everything he can do. Federal government, they want this situation to persist. Joe Biden wants it to persist. Did you see this? Joe was uh, in Wilmington coming out of campaign headquarters. That's in Wilmington, actually. And he gets asked about the polls. And uh, some guy with a car crashes right into his motorcade. I think God has a sense of humor. Watch what happens. Mr. President, why are you losing to Trump in the polls? Reading the wrong polls. No, all the polls say the same thing. You heard about the guy who crashed into the car. He was drunk, allegedly. Drunk driver, not terrorism. It was kind of funny. Nobody got hurt, by the way, even the driver. Nobody was hurt. But Joe, you think you're getting away with all these lies. You're not, all right? There's somebody who sees everything, everything. And you and I know who that is. I wonder if Joe does. I'll be right back. One week from today is Christmas. Wow, wow. And next week's going to be fun, right? It's going to be that light week. Christmas on a Monday, it's going to be like the twilight zone until New Year's Day. I love it. I love it. Looking forward. But I'll be back tomorrow.